passage this morning is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 21. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Good morning. So here we are again, Second Peter. If you've been with us the past couple of weeks, uh, you've noticed that we've been going through verse by verse, um, trying to, to really understand what Peter is telling us in this epistle. And um, I would say so far, we've, we've pretty heavily focused on the trees, okay, right? We've, we've been kind of parsing out uh, the connection of phrases and going verse by verse. And so I want to take a minute here this morning and let's step back and see the forest. All right. I want to get the 30,000 foot view of of the book of Second Peter. Um, and I think it's a good week for us to do that because we're going to see kind of the purpose, the intention of what Peter is is writing this morning. Um, and, and we see specifically and, and if I could just jump right in, I know I'm, I'm kind of quick out of the gate this morning. Uh, I, I feel like we have a lot to go through. And I don't want to go too rapidly, but also don't want to stay here too long. So I'm just going to go go straight into it. Um, and I trust that you will pray for me as we do this. And I've been praying all morning, desperate for God to to be clear here. So uh, I think it's a good week because we see in, in verses 12 through 15 the motivation for why Peter is writing here. And, and he says he wants to remind his hearers of some things. Um, and he wants to stir them up by way of reminder. And so he gives a couple of, of, I guess, insights into why this particular time, what's going on for him to want to remind them of these things. And he says, one, that he is near the end of his life. Okay, you remember Jesus said to Peter, hey, you will bear witness to me, right? That someone will, will put their hands on you and they will compel you to go somewhere that you don't want to go. And so Jesus foretelling to Peter, you will die for my sake. And Peter says, I know that time is coming soon that I will put off this tent as the Lord has made clear to me. And so I want you to remember these things. Remember them even after I'm gone. Remember what I'm telling you. And then the second reason um, is he had a specific cause for concern that these people he's writing to may not remember what he has taught them. And, And that is Specifically, there were false teachers attempting to mislead and deceive uh, these hearers, these early Christians with erroneous teaching. Okay, and that, that is a common thread in the New Testament. If you've read any 
significant portion of the New Testament, you've probably seen this. Um, and, and it's true today, as true today as it was then, but here's kind of how it works. So the gospel goes forth. The apostles, you know, they walk with Jesus. Jesus ascends. He gives them the spirit at Pentecost, and, and they move forward preaching the gospel. And the gospel convicts people of sin, and it makes claims on, on their lives. And it does the same for us as it did for them. And, and some people submit to that. Some people, they see the gospel, they hear it, and it resonates true with them, and they submit to that claim that it makes on their lives to live to the glory of God. And others just reject it right out of hand. And, and you probably, hopefully you know plenty of people like that. There's not a lot of those in the South that will just, you know, boldly say, hey, I don't buy it. I'm not a Christian. I'm not, I don't believe that. I mean, it's refreshing when you meet those people who just, they either accept it, wholeheartedly or they just reject it but a lot of people fall in this third category okay so as the gospel comes and it it kind of compels them it makes a claim on their life they see some good things in it some things they like and others that they don't like and so they try to parse it out they try to split it up and say okay i'm going to take these things and i'm going to assimilate them into what i already believe or what i want to believe or what i think is true about god and about life and about the world and so i want to i want to pull those in and i'm going to leave the other things behind and and that's a problem obviously but it's a maybe a bearable problem so long as there is a a fixed standard a pure teaching that they constantly have to like run up against okay the reason I say that is because we are all guilty of that. We all go to the Bible and we see things that we like more than other things. okay? And we want to take those things and we want to hold on to them. And then we kind of shy away maybe from some other things that we see. And we have to constantly go back and have our thinking renewed and refined. And we have to have to be, um, I guess, have the word kind of rub and, and grate up on us and, and kind of polish us up, clean us up, and refine us so that we are truly believing the pure truth that the apostles delivered to us. Um, so it's a problem, but it's, it's a bearable problem so long as Peter's teaching is not being you know, undermined or, or done away with or, or kind of twisted into something that he never meant to say. Um, he, that, that teaching can keep coming back to purify those, those folks. But what we see often in the New Testament is that some people want to par- parse out that gospel. They want to take the pieces that they like and leave the pieces that they don't like. And it's not just for them. And, and they're not constantly coming back to what the apostle said and having their thinking refined. No, they want to start asserting that, that pseudo gospel that they've put together. And they want to do it to undermine the historic teachings of the apostles. They want to kind of tell you, hey... I heard what the apostles said, but I kind of like it this way. And in fact, you shouldn't believe what they say. You should believe what I'm asserting here. That was very common in the New Testament. Okay, these guys would hear the gospel. You see it in Galatians. You see it in Colossians. You see it in 1 John. Where these guys would hear something of the gospel and they would say, I want to take that piece. I'm not going to take those pieces. And then I'm going to turn to Christians and say, don't listen to those guys. Listen to what I'm telling you. Okay. That's a, a big problem, and it's an intolerable problem, and, and that's what happened over and over in the early years of Christianity. And so the, the apostles would see that. They would see these young Christians being kind of in, in the middle of a tug of war. Peter's looking at these hearers, and he's saying, you're in a tug of war between what I've told you and what these other people are telling you now. 
They're, they're twisting things that, that they've heard us say. They're undermining things that I've said. And you are caught in the middle of this. Which way do you go? And so these apostles would write letters. And that's what we have. Like I said, in Second Peter and Galatians and Colossians, they would write letters and, and they wanted to really communicate about three things. And that is, what should their hearers believe? Okay, so I want to tell you what, remind you of what you should believe. I want to tell you why you should believe me instead of these other guys. Why should you hold to the original teaching that we delivered to you instead of this new thing that's come up? And then in kind of a sub point to that, I, I want to offer you a rebuttal to what they're saying. Okay, that's, I think, the 30,000 foot of view of Second Peter. We see Peter open this letter. He's, these hearers are being deceived. They're being misled by these false teachers. And Peter writes them a letter. and He says, I want to remind you of a few things. I want to remind you of what I taught you, what I gave you originally. And that's what we see, what we've seen the last two weeks. This glorious mini sermon, uh, verses 1 through 11 of Second Peter chapter 1. Where, where he asserts that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And that the sign of a true follower of Christ is that they live out that calling to purity and to holiness. And so he establishes that message first. Reminds them of what they should believe. And then in verse 15 he transitions to an argument of why his hearers should listen to him. Why should you listen to me as opposed to these guys? And then... In chapters 2 and 3, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see him kind of offer a rebuttal to what these other folks are saying, what these false teachers are saying. Um, and so we'll see what they're teaching later. I don't want to go into the content of the false teachers, although we'll see a little bit of that today. But, but that's your 30,000-foot view. Okay? What should you believe? He gave us that the past couple of weeks. Why should you listen to Peter as opposed to these other guys? That's what we're going to see today. And then the next couple of weeks, we'll see the rebuttal to the false teachers. Why are they wrong? Um, so, so I guess that's, I think this is very pertinent to us, right? Because we are, we are assaulted and not, I don't want to um, use extreme language there, but we really are, whether we understand it or not, or maybe we're just subtly, um, I guess, our thinking is undermined often. We're distracted. We're compelled by things that are not biblical, and, and we have to deal with these by this idea that, you know, all religions are the same. We're all going to the same place. And you shouldn't hold firmly to this one because who can really know the truth, right? You, you hear these kind of thoughts in the culture. And, and so the question is, why should we listen to Peter and the apostles and not listen to that, to that cultural milieu, that cultural way of thinking? Or why should we not listen to Carl Sagan? Right? He says the cosmos are everything and the, and the hero in the story of earth is time. Right? And it's just all a, this big accident. And so really, don't get too hung up on religion because it doesn't ultimately matter. What matters is the beauty of the universe evolved through millions of years with no creator, no higher moral authority, just what you have here. So just enjoy it. Why do we not listen to that? Why, why do we not listen to Muhammad? Or Joseph Smith, why are we Christians? Why do we listen to the apostles as opposed to uh, these other religions? Why are we not still Jewish? These are all questions we have to wrestle with. And Peter's giving an argument for why you should listen to him today. Um, so, so we're going to see that. 
in a minute. I just want to table that question. I want to kind of set up, set up the tension for you. Table that question for a minute because I could go answer that, but we would skip over verses 12 through 15. And I really don't want to just skip um, a good chunk here. And I think there's some really good, good stuff there. So as we said a minute ago, in, in verses 12 through 15, Peter gives us his motivation for writing. Why is he writing? And he uses this word over and over and over. He says, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. I am writing to stir you up by way of reminder. I make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to recall these things at any time. So what things is he talking about? What is he reminding them of? And I said, that's, that's everything he's just said in verses 1 through 11. Everything we've seen the past two weeks here. So if you missed those, they're on the website. You can go to, to our uh, Three Rivers website and listen to them. Or just read Second Peter 1 through 11. Um, that's a good, good suggestion. You can go there. It's, it's the gospel. It's the foundation of Peter's teaching. The foundation of his faith. That God has cleansed you from your sins. And he calls you to live that out in everyday life, not in your own strength, but depending on his promises, depending on him giving you the spirit and and empowering you to live. And Peter writes today in this section to admonish us that we should remember that. Don't forget it. He wants us to always be able to call that to mind. And I think he uses a brilliantly helpful phrase in verse 12. He says, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. That's a, that's a helpful category of thinking that you may not naturally have. You need to remember what you already know. That's so much of the Christian life. You, you need to remember these things that you already know. Peter writes to remind you, even though you remember them, even though you know them and you are established in them, I want to remind you of these things. And I think that's directly related to what we saw last week in verse 9. Remember verse 9 where he says, anyone who lacks these things is so blind or he's near, so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So Peter says the antidote to lacking holiness, to lacking godliness, to not walking with Christ, the antidote of that is to remember, to remember that you were cleansed from your sins. If you lack the qualities of a true follower of Christ, remember the gospel. Remember that Christ died to cleanse you from your sins and that God calls you to walk in that new life. And then even as you're walking well, if you're not lacking those things, what do you do? You remember, you never look at your good deeds and and have confidence. Look how good I am. Look, I haven't messed up in six months. I'm doing great. You never do that. You always remember that you were cleansed from your former sins and you are saved by the righteousness of God. Um, There's a great story that about Martin Luther, you may have heard, where one of his parishioners asked him, Martin, why do you always teach us this basic gospel message? Week in and week out at church, you are just giving us this basic gospel message every week. And Martin Luther says, because every week you come in like people who have forgotten it. Right? Every week you forget it. So I remind you every week. And, and Peter is saying, no matter where you are on that spectrum, if you've forgotten and you are, you are failing and falling short, remember the gospel. And if you are walking well in obedience with Christ, remember what you already know. 
Okay, we have to keep coming back to this. That, that is so much of Christian living. Just simply remembering what you know. Not forgetting. Not being duped by the deceitfulness of sin. That phrase keeps coming up in First Peter in these sermons. Have you noticed that? Because so much of this is just about remembering. Not being deceived. Going to the promises. Believing God and not the lies of sin. Right? That's, that's so much of the Christian life. Just remembering And so Peter writes these things so that his hearers will remember them. See see a little connection there? He writes these things so that we will remember them. So what if you're like me and you have a terrible memory, right? And and, in 30 minutes, I'm not going to remember half of what I just said. Um, What are you going to do? You forget so easily what God has said or done or what he has called you to. Peter wrote these things so that we may remember them. And I think we're about to see a connection maybe between that and the rest of this text. So let's um, let's come back to that and let's just move on to verse 16 and see see where this is going. So remember the table, the question we tabled a minute ago. Why should we trust Peter and the other apostles and not all these other competing ideas of what's true in the universe? Why should we care to remember what he taught? He's writing so that we would remember. Why should we care to remember what Peter taught? And I think in verses 16 to 21, Peter turns his full attention to answering that question. He's defending his authority, his reliability as an apostle. And he gives us two reasons for why we should trust him. And that is uh, the first one. The apostles are offering eyewitness accounts of what they saw and heard regarding Jesus. So an eyewitness account, and these events, these things that they witness, fit in with and confirm the prophecies in Scripture. So let's take those one at a time and see, uh, see what we see. Let me read 16 through 18 again as a refresher. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Remember, this is pre-YouTube, okay? No YouTube in Peter's day. All right, this is pre-CNN iReport. There were no iPhones and cell phone cameras for these guys to capture evidence, right? And so in this day, in most cases, the strongest evidence that somebody had done something or said something was an eyewitness account, right? In fact, I've been reading through Deuteronomy, and there are laws that say you, you will not punish someone on the account of one eyewitness, but on a, several eyewitnesses, you could even stone people, right, for certain things. If, if you have several eyewitness accounts, these, these people who had seen someone say or do something, there's a high premium put on eyewitness, multiple eyewitness accounts. Um, and that's the first thing Peter appeals to here. He says, we, meaning the apostles, we saw the majesty of Jesus and we heard God speak in approval of him. We didn't all just get together and make up this story about the power and coming of Jesus. So, have you heard that objection to the New Testament? These guys just made up stories, right? They just made up these stories about Jesus. That's a very common objection. And it's really, 
who you're going to believe. Some people say that. Peter says very sincerely here, I think. He says, we didn't make this up. We're not following cleverly devised myths when we talk about the power and coming of Jesus. So we've got to decide who we're going to believe. But I, I think before we do that, we need to understand which coming. When he says we're the power and coming of Jesus, which coming is he talking about? Because Jesus came once and lived with the apostles, and he left, and then he said he's coming again. And um, we see in chapter 3, we're going to get there, so I don't want to get there too soon, but we see that a major point of this letter is that Peter wants to address these false teachers who are sowing seeds of doubt regarding the second coming of Christ. They are saying things like, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And so the natural response, if I heard Peter say, Jesus is coming back, and then these guys are saying, where? When? I mean, we've been going like this for years now. When is he coming? Where's the promise of his coming? What am I going to do? I'm going to turn to Peter and say, Peter, you said he's coming back. These guys are saying he's not coming back. Help me. What, what do I do here? Are you, I mean, why should I believe you and not these guys? Where is the promise of his coming? Um, and so Peter, I think, looks at that and he says, what can I give you for you to be confident that he is returning? What can I give you to help you believe what I'm saying? And he appeals to the transfiguration, right? You know that big word? It's, it's the moment where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain and they see him. It says that they um, see his face shining like the sun and they see his, his clothes white as light. Okay, So Peter appeals to the transfiguration and he says, Jesus promised he will return in glory. And we are confident of that because we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We've seen a glimpse of it. We saw him in his glory. And so when he says, hey, I'm coming back in that glory, I can attest. Peter says, I am an eyewitness. This is true. You can believe this. He is coming. We're not making these things up. I'm not devising clever myths here. And we see this kind of appeal in, in other New Testament writings as well. Um, Luke begins his gospel account by saying, in essence, this is paraphrasing, uh, hey, there are all these eyewitnesses, eyewitness accounts around. We know all these people who walked with Jesus and saw things, and I thought somebody needs to compile all these things and, and take their testimonies and write them down. And then he uses this phrase, so that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So Luke says, hey, believe us because we've got all these eyewitness accounts that we've compiled and written down for you. I, I talked to people who saw these things. You can trust this. Paul makes a similar defense in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people after his resurrection, most of whom are still alive to this day. Why does he tack that on there? Why does he say Jesus appeared to 500 people, most of whom are still alive? His point is, go ask them. Go find them. If you don't believe me, go find some of these 500 people who are still alive, and you'll see that I'm not making this up. That is just, I call that open-handed sincerity. I'm not hiding anything. Here, here's what I'm offering you. There are 500 people. Go ask them. Nothing up my sleeve. No ulterior motive, right? Go ask them. Believe me or don't believe me. Ask these guys. You'll see that I'm right. So, so the apostles appeal to their authority as eyewitnesses, and like Peter's hearers, 
We have to decide. You've got to look at this and you have to decide, do you buy it? Do you believe what they said? Do you, do you think that they just made up stories about Jesus and they made up prophetic words to exercise power over people that they concocted cleverly devised myths about the power and coming of Jesus? Or are they delivering to us accurate accounts of what they saw and heard with regard to Jesus? These men who lived with Jesus for three years or more, did they, are they making these things up or... Are they giving us accurate accounts of what they saw and heard? And when I read these kind of statements, when I read this kind of, of transparent sincerity, and then I couple that with, with the fact that we know that most of these guys died horrendous deaths. They suffered incredibly physically for this. They, they were hung. Peter was crucified upside down. And he didn't say, I was just kidding, guys. Just kidding. Don't kill me for this. Right? All these guys died that way. I, I just, I'm compelled. I think, I believe this. They're appealing to eyewitnesses. They're saying, we're not making this up. Test us, try us, ask other people, whatever you want to do. And then they die for it. I think these are not, these are not the musings of philosophers. Okay? These are eyewitness accounts that we're getting. And so that's Peter's first defense of his authority. Why should we listen to Peter? Because he's an eyewitness of these things. And then he's going to connect that with something that, that I think is just glorious. Um, I wish we had three weeks on these verses, but we don't. Um, so that's Peter's first defense. And then let's look at verses 19 through 21 to see his second defense. He says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, you might notice something a little bit different in your translation. just depends on, on which translation you have. Some versions say in verse 19, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, or we have the prophetic word made more sure. Okay? And then some translations say, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word. Okay, that's a, a little bit subtle difference, but I, I think they're both fair. I think they're both defendable from the Bible, um, and I think they both get to Peter's point. And so don't get hung up if you have a different rendering of that text um, because they both capture Peter's point, which I think is this. Peter says, We were eyewitnesses to the glory and majesty of Jesus. We heard him speak, we saw him act, and everything we saw and heard confirmed and fulfilled the teachings of the prophets. And so he says, my teaching, our teaching as the apostles has authority because we stand on the foundation of those prophets and we are proclaiming the consummation of what they spoke. Okay, so he's tying himself. He says, I'm an eyewitness. There's my first reason that you should trust me. And the second reason is I'm tying myself as an apostle to the prophetic word in the Old Testament. I'm saying what I've seen confirms what they wrote, and I'm standing in that lineage. I'm standing in that line of Old Testament prophets, and I'm, I'm anchored in them, and I'm proclaiming the consummation of what they spoke. And so you should listen to me. And that raises 
an immediate objection. Well, that's all well and good, Peter. If what they spoke was from God, if what they spoke was true. I mean, how do we know that those guys weren't just looking around, seeing things going on in the world, and they were ignorant of the reason and the science that we have today? And so they were just giving their best interpretation of what was going on around them. How do we know that's not the case? How do we know that, that what they spoke was really from God? Because that's what you're assuming, Peter. If, if you're saying the reason we should trust you is that you're standing on their foundation and you're, you're giving the consummation of what they spoke, how do we know we can trust them? And so Peter immediately addresses that. And he gives two, two things. He says, pay close attention to the prophetic word. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So if you think those guys were just kind of looking around and giving their best effort to explain what was going on in the world, Peter says, no, no, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. It's not that they're, they're just making up stories trying to explain what they see. It says, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Have you been to Barnes & Noble lately? Anybody, is anybody like me and you find the most productive environment in the world to be the Barnes & Noble Cafe for some reason? It's like I can sit in my office at home and waste hours upon hours upon hours. I go to Barnes & Noble for 30 minutes and I'm like churning out, you know, research papers. And I don't even need to do research papers. Um, I just, I find it, I go in there as much as I can because I, for some reason I find it very productive. But if you go in there, you're going to find shelf after shelf and table after table filled with books, books on history, self-help books, story books, business books, and every one of them has, has something in common. The author wrote them because he or she felt like, I have something to say. I have something worth hearing. So I'm going to write a book. People should listen to me, right? They have advice for business, or they have commentary on society, or they have observations from history. And Peter says, don't take that and go to the Bible. That's not how the Bible works. Okay? No prophecy was produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. No prophet ever said, looking around, hey, I don't like that. I'm going to say something. I'm going to be the one that stands up, Right? He says, no, it doesn't work like that. They don't just have this kind of, I have something to say, and so they write books. He says, God spoke through these men. God used men. They, they didn't produce these things on their own. It wasn't just their intelligent observations, but God spoke to them. They spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, like a sailboat in the wind, right? The wind comes and it sails and it pushes it forward and it impales and compels that sailboat. And it, it moves it and it directs the boat. The Holy Spirit caught in the sails of these Old Testament prophets and said, write this, say this. And, it's, and, and Jesus spoke through them. God spoke through them. And that's what Peter says. Don't, don't try to take your understanding of how books work and, and put that on the Bible. Right, Because the Bible is not just a collection of someone's own interpretation. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, just to re retrace that. So Peter says, I'm an eyewitness. I'm standing in the lineage of these prophets. And if you think those guys aren't reliable, let me tell you. Those guys did not just make this up. 
but they spoke as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so, like I said, I, w- I wish we had three weeks to talk about that, to spend on these verses. And, and we would just camp out on the idea of the scriptures as the inspired, infallible, God-breathed authority for faith and life. But I'm intentionally trying to avoid using Peter as a launching pad to go into these grandiose biblical themes. I, I, I don't want to do that. I love doing that. And I think there's a good place for that in the church. But I just want to understand, what is Peter getting at? What is he saying to us? And so let's finish up this morning by just going back through that a little bit more closely and and see if we can find the point of all that Peter is saying here, the point of this passage. Um, So just to go back to the two translations, whether your translation says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, or we have something more sure, the prophetic word, Either way you go about that, the point is you can depend on the Scripture. It is confirmed. The prophets of old accurately foretold the things concerning Christ, and the apostles' experience, eyewitness experience, confirmed it. And so Peter says, you will do well to pay attention to that prophetic word as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. It's an interesting phrase to throw in there. Why does he say that? Till the day dawns and the, the morning star rises in your hearts. I'm studying Malachi with some guys. Um, we just started last Monday night. We kind of read through the book and just pontificated. You know, we just, oh, I like this. I think that's a good, you know, the, basically the thing you shouldn't do in Bible study. But we're going to go back and actually read the text and let it speak to us instead of us just kind of reading and saying, I think it means this. That's good. Um, but one thing that we, we probably spent half our time on was Malachi chapter 4. The first couple of verses, he says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name... The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out leaping like calves from the stall. So I, I think, and I think that parallels in many ways Second Peter chapter three. I think Peter's explicitly pulling from Malachi and other places in the, Old, in the Old Testament. But here's what I think he means by using that phrase: "The day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts." I think he's saying. We apostles caught a glimpse of Christ's glory at the transfiguration, and that has given us an unshakable confidence in the prophetic word of Scripture. And as we look to that inspired word, it is like a lamp guiding us through a dark time. It's a dark time. Christ has ascended. He promised he will return, but he's not here right now. He's, he's ascended. And false teachers are all around you, and you are being pummeled by them, and they're trying to undermine what we're saying, and, and we're passing away. I, I know I'm going to die soon. It's a dark time, but we know Christ has promised he has not left forever. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. The day of the Lord is coming, and it will be like the day dawning. And the morning star rising. And when the dawn arrives, you won't need a lamp. Right? When the dawn arrives, you will see clearly. But until then, use the lamp. Use your lamp. Don't stumble around in the darkness. Use the lamp to see until the day dawns and the morning star rises. 
So he's, he's saying, go to the scripture, go to that, pay close attention to it, because it is a lamp shining in a dark place. Depend on it. And lastly, lest you think that that's just an argument for the inspiration of Old Testament prophecy, let's just close by remembering what Peter is arguing for. What's the premise of this passage? He is asserting that we should trust the apostles and not the false teachers, right? And his reasoning is that they were eyewitnesses of the glory of Christ and that they stand on the foundation of these prophets and they they preach the consummation of what the prophets gave, that everything they saw and heard confirmed and fulfilled those prophetic sayings in Scripture. And so Peter says, you have the prophets accurately pointing to the work of, in the person of Christ. And you have the apostles as eyewitnesses, bearing testimony, bearing witness to, to Christ. So prophets pointing to Christ. Apostles pointing to Christ. Prophets and apostles both going to Christ. Does that remind you of something? I'm deliberately saying that over and over. Does that remind you of another passage maybe in the New Testament? Ephesians 2. Paul says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Here we are, the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. God has built his house. He has has established his church built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, Old Testament prophets, New Testament epistles, the apostles writing, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. He has established his church here. The prophets bore witness to Christ. The apostles were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, and they wrote these things. They wrote them down, and God has built his household on that foundation. The point of the text is this. You can trust Scripture. You can go to it as a lamp shining in a dark place. You can depend on it. It's reliable. It is, it is writings of men who have been carried along by the Holy Spirit. These men did not just make this up. Peter says with transparent sincerity, I didn't make this up. I'm just writing what I saw. Take it or leave it. But you can trust it I, from an eyewitness here. We're writing what we saw and we stand on the foundation of these other guys who have come before us. And so church, build your life on that. Go to the scriptures and depend on them. Look to them like a lamp shining in a dark place that by them you may see the cornerstone. You may see Christ. And never doubt, and we're going to see in two weeks, never doubt that one day all of these hints, all these glimpses that you see here by the lamp, by the light of the lamp, One day you'll look up and you will see the morning star rising. You will see Christ returning in incomparable glory. And you will rejoice. You will go out like calves leaping from a stall. It's an interesting image, right? Just just imagine it. Calves just running free. Hey, I'm free. Look, it's all true. It's all good. I'm running free. I'm so excited. That's, That's what we will be like. We will embrace that. That morning star Peter says it will rise in your hearts, the morning star rising in your hearts. I think he means the physical, visible return of Jesus. He will return and it will be like the morning star rising. But he says in your hearts to say it's not just going to be an external thing. 
that you kind of sit back and you say, well, that's cool. That's I didn't expect that. Right. No, but he says Jesus will return. It will be like the morning star rising. And in your hearts, it will be like a daylight you have never seen. So so go to the scriptures until then. Wait for that. Eagerly anticipate that. But until then, pay close attention to the prophetic word, because it is like a lamp shining in a dark place. So we can trust these guys. We can trust what Peter is about to tell us in these next two weeks, because he stands on the foundation of those prophets, and he bears witness to Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone, who is the morning star, and he is coming back, and it will be like the day dawning. So let's, let's depend on that. Let me pray for us. Father, give us confidence in this word. Confirm in us, Father, though we do not see with our physical eyes, I pray that you would give us spiritual sight to bear witness to your Son through your Word. May He stand forth as we go to the Word and read. As we read these Old Testament prophets, may we see Jesus as the consummation and the fulfillment of what they said. And Father, as we read the, apostle, uh, the apostles and their eyewitnesses to Christ, May Jesus warm us and change us and transform us. And may we remember what Peter has told us about the kind of people we should be in response to what we see in your word, to what we know of Jesus, to what you have done for us. Help us to remember, Father. May we be stirred up by way of reminder. May we not forget. May we not be nearsighted or blind. But may we come to the scriptures as a lamp shining in a dark place. And remember what you have told us. We ask this that Jesus Christ may get the glory. And we long to see his face as the day dawning and the morning star rising. It's in his name. Amen.